So in all of our places, let's spend some time now talking with God, the one who loves us and the God of the universe. Let's pray together. And so God, we thank you for this time that we have to worship you. And God, while it is unique and we are in a unique time, we know that you are a God who loves us and a God who's aware of every circumstance, even the one that we are in currently. God, we are involved in this world that is uh, broken. God, it's a world that's filled with anger and and hatred and and the the level of discord is more than we ever imagined possible. And God, you're aware of this worldwide situation. And you're aware of the circumstances of our own hearts and our own lives as well. And so God, we ask you to not only come into the circumstances of our life and in this world, but God, we ask that you would give us strength and courage and stamina. God, that we would seek to be the men and women that you've called us to be. That God, we would be making a difference in the world around us. God, that where there are, <clears throat> where there's anger and where there is hatred and where there is fear, God, that we would sow love and we would sow peace and we would sow comfort. God, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus in all the places that we may go. Whether we're at work, at school, at home, in our neighborhoods, God, that we would seek to be people who represent you well. God, we pray that this time that we've been worshiping you, in our homes, and all of our places, God, while we are apart, we would feel together that the common bond of our relationship with you would cause us to feel a sense of community even when we are not together. And God, as we look forward to the day when we will be together again, we would look for those who do not have a church community or a place that they can call their church home. That God, we would not be satisfied that we would just be with those we know, but God, that our desire would be to see men and women and boys and girls learn of the great love that you have for them. And so God, that I pray would be our desire as a church and as individuals. That while our time apart has been challenging and while our time apart has taught us many things. I pray, God, that as we come together, we would seek to find those who still feel apart, who still feel as if they're alone. And God, that we would be inspired and motivated and challenged to draw them into our faith community. And now, God, I pray that you be with us in all the things that we do in this worship time, whether it be singing, whether it be praying, whether it be hearing your word taught to us. God, that we would be uh, um, inspired to live a certain way. God, that we would be challenged. And the God, that we would be encouraged. And God, I thank you again for this place that we call hope. And I pray that you would be with us now as we continue to worship. 
And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Spirits and rushing wind, fire of God fall within. Holy Ghost, breathe on us, we pray. As we repent, turn from sin, revival embers smoldering. Breath of God, fan us into flame. We need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out. Hearts that burn, holy fear, purified faith and deed. Finest fire, strength in what remains. So we, the church, bear your light, lamp of flame, city bright, King and Kingdom, come is what we pray. We need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven, pour your spirit out.
So this is a first. Uh, I'm preaching from my office. As you heard, um, we're doing work in the worship space, and so everybody's accommodating that. And uh, so in a year full of firsts, I get to uh, share this message with you from uh, my office. You know, we're excited about the relaunch that's going to be happening, and sometime in the next couple of days, we'll be announcing uh, when we're going to be uh, starting in-person worship on Sunday mornings again. Um, and I'm excited about sharing that with you, and so stay tuned for that. We're in week two of a series that we're calling Doubt After Faith. And Pastor Heather uh, started this series last week, and she shared the story of Peter and his uh, walking on the water and how he had doubt uh, in the midst of that uh, exciting adventure and uh, Jesus asking him the question, why did you doubt? And so we're going to continue in that uh, this morning, and we're going to continue looking at Peter as one who gives us some reference points about having both faith and doubt living side by side, and that's a normal part of our faith. So this morning I want to talk about uh, the story of Peter with Jesus and the disciples. It's toward the end of uh, Jesus's uh, earthly ministry. And he's just been in an intense time of doing ministry with, with a large, large groups of people. He's tired. He takes his disciples off uh, alone with him. And while they're together, Jesus asks them the question, who are the people saying that I am? Who are the people saying that I am? And they're quick to volunteer information. Some are saying that you're John the Baptist which is interesting because John the Baptist had, uh, had been killed at this point. And so there are those who believe that John the Baptist, this huge figure in uh, Israel at that time, had been resurrected. And he had come back and Jesus was the resurrected John the Baptist. Others were saying that he was Elijah. This is perhaps the most significant prophet in the Old Testament. And so people are looking at Jesus and they're saying, you are the great prophet. You are the one who is the, the forerunner to the coming Messiah. The people of Israel are waiting for Elisha to come back. In fact, even up until today at Passover, there is a special seat at the Passover table among uh, uh, gathered people, families and so forth. Uh, for Elijah to return. So there's a recognition among people that Jesus is a significant figure. He's not just another, uh, he's not just another teacher. He's not just another rabbi. He is somebody significant. And then Jesus asked the question of his disciples. So who do you say that I am? And in my mind's eye, I picture them kind of looking to the ground struggling with that answer, struggling with who, who is this? Who do I believe that this is? But of course, Peter, who is normally the one, he's that guy who is always out in front. He's an activist kind of guy. Um, he sometimes speaks before he thinks, but he just blurts out, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. 
And Jesus says, Peter, you're right. That's who I am. I am, I am the Messiah. And then tells Peter that you didn't come up with that on your own, that that, that information, that revelation came from the Father to Peter. And, uh, and then he goes on to say that on this rock, on this confession that I am the Messiah, the church will be built and the powers of hell will not prevail against it. This is perhaps the most significant exchange that has ever taken place in human history. The recognition and the first time, the first affirmation of who Jesus really is. And it came from the lips of Peter. You are the Messiah. It's a great moment, and if you have never professed Christ as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one who came to take away the sins of the world, to take away your sin, if you've never confessed him with your mouth, I would encourage you to do that today, that you would just offer yourself, your heart, your life to him, asking him to forgive your sin, to make you pure so that you might one day stand before a holy God and to be the leader of your life. Man, what a great moment this was for the disciples, for Peter for sure, and for us. Now, as that story goes on, Literally, the, the next story in the Gospel of Matthew is um, Peter having another moment with Jesus, a very different kind of moment. It says this, picking up in, uh, in verse 21 of the 16th chapter of Matthew, it says this, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus is filling them in on what's going to be happening. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. I want to pause there for a second. This is again one of those moments, and I picture it in my own mind, as Jesus explaining what's going to be happening. Peter kind of coming up to Jesus and saying, um, Teacher, can I have a word? Would you step outside with me? And them going out and Peter saying, um, Hey, look, I know you're trying to motivate us, and I know that you're trying to get us prepared for the fact that it's going to be a difficult time and so forth. But, you know, all this talk about being persecuted and suffering and death, it's just bumming people out. Um, you know, Lord, 
I, I ran a pretty successful seafood, seafood company and uh, I know how to motivate people. And so maybe a little less of the negative talk and a little more, you know, upbeat stuff and so forth. And he's rebuking Jesus. He's telling Jesus that what Jesus is saying is going to happen isn't going to happen. And the reason is because it doesn't fit with what Peter understands about the Messiah. So Jesus responds to Peter in this way. Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus calls him out and says, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. You think you do, but you have no idea what you're talking about. I can only imagine Peter's shock at this. I mean, just a couple of days earlier, he was being called the rock. He was being affirmed for saying out loud that Jesus was the Christ. And now Jesus is calling out Satan from him. He's not calling Peter Satan. He's just saying that this perspective that Jesus is not going to go through what he needs to go through is a human understanding, a false understanding, a misguided understanding about who Jesus is and why Jesus came. And I can only imagine what must have been going through Peter's mind, not just in that moment, but over the next several days as he wrestled with what he had just heard. You see, Peter's whole mindset about the Messiah was one that he had probably been taught his whole life, had heard preached about in synagogue, had been talked about, that the Messiah was going to be this conquering king, kind of like a David figure who was going to come in, who was going to rally Israel together. They were going to throw off the bonds of uh, the Roman Empire and that they were going to be restored to their rightful place among the nations. And this was what the Messiah was going to do. And so when Jesus is talking about suffering and being arrested and being uh, persecuted and being executed, this doesn't fit with his understanding. And so now I'm sure he's wrestling with, who is this, who is this Jesus really? I mean, I said he was the Messiah, but is he? Is he really? Am I following the wrong guy? Where is he leading me? Where is he leading us? When God's actions are seemingly or God's inactions at times, don't fit into our box of what we think that God is about and how God is acting. It can bubble up in us, in all of us, doubts. When you face a hardship and it feels like God's not with you, that God's not answering you, it can raise doubts. When we see good people suffering, or when we see bad people prospering, 
when things don't kind of fit into our box of how we think God works, it can cause doubt. You know, I'm working through the book of Job with a group of guys from Hope. Um, and as we've been reading through the book of Job since January, 95% of what Job is about is these friends of Job trying to squeeze God into their box about who God is and how God works. And at the end of the book, God himself speaks and says that they were all wrong. The stuff that they were saying, the things that they were saying about Job and how things happen and why they happen and so forth were wrong. It didn't fit their, it, God didn't fit into their box. You know, one of my favorite parts of the ministry that I get to do as a pastor, of all the things I get to do, one of my favorite things to do is to spend time with people who are wrestling with doubts. Sometimes it's people who have never made a faith confession. And they're struggling with doubts about whether or not Jesus is in fact the Messiah. And working through that. And just as often, talking to Christ followers, people who have a faith, but there are things that are going on, things that are happening, that have raised doubts in their mind and questions. And I get to walk alongside folks in that time, listening to their struggles, asking questions, encouraging, and praying with them, and seeing how they move through not losing their faith, but their faith actually growing and deepening because of the struggles that they go through and, and the new understandings and the new depth that their faith has. You know, Many years ago, we had a couple here at Hope Church. They've long since moved out of state. And, uh, but for the time that they were here, um, the wife was very involved. She was a woman of uh, a rich faith and was very active and so forth. The husband, I rarely ever saw him. I think I could count on one hand the number of times that he was in the worship space. But one evening, uh, we had a gathering at our house, Marilyn and I, and this couple was, was there. Uh, there was probably 15 or so people. And I remember standing in our kitchen and having a talk with Jim and just trying to get to know him better and hearing his story. And uh, in that conversation, he shared with me that when he was 12 years old, his mom died. And he said to me, how does a 12-year-old boy believe in a God that takes his mother? It was the most transparent he had ever been with me. And it opened us up to an ongoing conversation that took place over several months. And I got to watch as he began, as now a man in his 40s, really wrestle with those questions and begin to recognize that all along his life journey, God had brought people into his life to help him along, to support and encourage him. 
that God brought him this wonderful woman who loved him and accepted him as he was, this woman of great faith. They moved away before I saw him uh, make a decision for Christ, and, and honestly, I don't know where that took him, but I saw that those doubts begin to be addressed in a significant way. You know, the opposite of faith is not doubt. Pastor Heather shared that last week. The opposite of faith is not doubt. I believe that the opposite of faith is arrogance or apathy. Arrogance says that I know how God works. I have an airtight theology. I've got it all figured out. I've got the box. Judas knew that Jesus could not be the Messiah because Jesus didn't fit into his box. He knew what the Messiah was supposed to be. He thought he knew. And when Jesus didn't fit, he knew that Jesus wasn't the right guy. And so he betrayed him, only to find out that he had made a terrible mistake. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that we know in part, that we understand in part, that we see through a glass darkly, the arrogant one says, I know in every part. I know who God is and how God works. There's no room for doubt. But like the Pharisees, just because they think they know, believe they know, doesn't mean that they're right. Judas had no doubt that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. And he was wrong. The other enemy of faith, like I said, is apathy. Apathy is a failure to pursue God. And it's a failure to pursue God out of laziness, really. It's a, kind of an attitude that says, hey, who knows? You know, nobody knows God, really. Nobody can know stuff. And uh, if God wants me to know something, he can come and reveal it to me directly. And so it's this kind of apathetic approach to faith or a lack of faith. It reminds me a little bit of Thomas, who we refer to as Doubting Thomas. When Jesus had appeared to others and they told Thomas who missed it, Thomas's response was, I don't believe it. And I won't believe it until Jesus comes and appears to me and shows me directly. It was a kind of apathetic thing, not listening to what the others had heard and learning from their experience. Um, it was this more apathetic approach. And I see this more often than I wish I, I did. Uh, people who are just kind of apathetic, you know, like, hey, I've got more important things to do than figure out if Jesus is who he said he was, if there really is a God. I've got more important things to do. And my response often is, what could possibly be more important? 
what is it that you've got going on that is eternal, that would make a difference in your life and in the lives of the people that you care about? What could possibly be more important? So back to Peter. Peter's faith kept him following Jesus despite his doubts. So he had this moment with Jesus where he got called out. He's wrestling with how Jesus is the Messiah because it's not the Messiah that, that Peter expected. And he, he continues to have faith while having doubt. And that took him all the way through what took place next. Going into Jerusalem. Having Jesus tell Peter in the, uh, at the final Passover that they shared together that he would deny him three times. And again, Peter, thinking he knows stuff, says it will never happen. Right? That's outside of what's possible. And then has exactly that experience. And now is left with a deep sense of guilt and shame. And Jesus is dead. And Peter must have thought that his life was over. That his faith was over. That he was rejected for all time by God. But I love the story. This is my favorite part, really, of the resurrection story uh, before Jesus ascended into heaven. Peter is back at his old business, his seafood business. And he's fishing, and on the shore, he sees Jesus. And he dives into the water and, and swims up to Jesus, who is preparing a meal. And I am sure that in that moment, he is filled with a faith and a doubt that are at war with each other. How could Jesus ever forgive me? He is the Messiah in a way that I never knew, I never expected. But how could he ever forgive me? And into that moment, Jesus looks at Peter and asks this question, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And Jesus asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. And a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter now with all of the faith and all of the sincerity that is in him, says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Three denials, followed by three, yes, Lord, I love you. God works in the midst of our doubts. God understands that we are imperfect, that we are trying to figure it out, 
that we are trying to find our way to him. And when we do that in faith, he isn't put off by our doubts. And he says, in effect, in effect to Peter, look, don't let your struggles with trying to understand everything keep you from doing the work of the kingdom. Feed my sheep. Do the work of the kingdom with all of the faith that you have and even in the midst of doubt. So I don't know where you are today in, in your own faith. Maybe there are things that you've been struggling with. It's been a difficult year uh, in so many ways for so many people. And things aren't going necessarily the way that we thought. God isn't responding the way that we think God should be responding, perhaps. And what I want to encourage you with today is that the same God who asked Peter the question, do you love me, is asking that simple question of you. Not do you understand me, not have you got it all figured out, not do you have doubt, but do you love me? And if the answer that you have is a simple yes, Lord, I love you, then keep walking. Keep trusting. Some answers will come. Some insights will come. And some may come way down the line. And some may never come this side of heaven. But know that the God that you love, that the God that you follow in Christ, loves you and will lead you all the way home.
And let's pray together. So Lord, thank you for the example of Peter. Someone who, um, like us, struggled with faith from time to time. Who had a bold faith, a real faith, a life-changing faith. But who also, Lord, stumbled, misunderstood stuff, got some stuff wrong. And yet, in the midst of all of that, Lord, you loved him and you used him in a powerful way. Thank you for that example and its reminder to us that you never leave us or forsake us, especially in those times where we're struggling the most. And so, Lord, for those who may be struggling, I, in our midst, I just pray, Lord, that you would lift them up, bring men and women around them who can encourage and inspire them and, and be a listening ear, who can lift them in prayer. And Lord, if there are people around us that we know are struggling, help us to be that brother, that sister, for them in this time and in this season. Lord, we, like Peter, love you. We love you. We love you. And are grateful that we get to call you our Savior. Be with us as we go through this week. Guide our steps, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.